This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll and is from our Easter Sunday service, 2018. My youngest son Toby was born last August in a van on the way to the hospital. When I showed up to church the following week, a man came up to me and said, Brett, when are you preaching next? And I gave him the date and he said, oh, I'll be out of town. I said, you like my preaching? He said, no, I just wanted to hear the Toby story. And I was so offended. Not that he doesn't like my preaching, I I get that all the time. I was so offended that he thought the pulpit is merely an avenue for us to tell interesting stories about our life. So offended. So here's the Toby story. It was 10 days before his due date, so we weren't exactly prepared. Uh, Julie woke me up a little after six and she said, I think this is happening today. So we got breakfast for the other kids. We started making the phone calls. All told, this happened in less than four hours. After breakfast, she says, things are getting, uh, the the contractions are getting closer together. This is progressing a little faster. Better call the doula. I said, sure thing. So we called the doula. She comes over to the house. A little after 9.30, right when she arrives, Julie's water breaks. Now later on, when we were debriefing everything, Julie had told me, That was the moment I knew that I was in transition, which is the the part right before you push, right? So it's the phase right before pushing. And she said, in my mind, I thought, we should not leave this house. We are not going to get to Hinsdale 45 minutes away. And I said, babe, you were doing amazing things in that moment. You had a lot on your plate at that time. If we're ever in that situation again, that might be something to say out loud. (laughs) The first clue I had that things were about to get interesting was I said to the doula, do you normally follow behind in your own car or do you come in the car with the parents? She said, oh, I always go behind in my own car, but I think I'm going to come in the van with you guys. (laughs) The second clue that things were about to get interesting is she grabbed about 17 towels out of the bathroom and shoved them into the the van and, and off we go down Roosevelt Road. So we're going down Roosevelt Road, and as we cross under 355, the doula says, how do you feel about Elmhurst Memorial rather than Hinsdale Adventist? I said, well, that's not in the plan is how I feel about Elmhurst Memorial. But then about Main Street and Lombard, truly said, I'm sorry, uh, but this baby is happening. So we said, all right, it's Elmhurst. About Highland Avenue and Roosevelt Road. I'm saying, all right, doula, should we, should we pull over to the side if this baby's happening? She said, no, usually things go this fast when everything's good and healthy and all lined up. So keep going. All right, okay, I'm on the right side of the road for the most part. I'm going. We're going 45 miles an hour down Roosevelt Road. And then all of a sudden Julie says, the head is out. <laughs> now do I pull over? No, keep going. Okay, so I'm driving down Roosevelt Road. Julie's in the middle of the van. The head is out. And about four intersections later at Westmore Myers and Roosevelt Road, the doula says, all right, Julie, give me one more push. And next thing I hear is, you have a son. (laughs) And I said, now do I pull over? (laughs) She said, no, keep going. We pull up to the ER. Somebody had called ahead. So as soon as we pull into the ER, a doctor runs out and says, how far along is she? I said, pretty far. The baby's out. They, they ran, they got the clamp and the, and the scissors, and they cut Toby's cord in the van. I told that story probably about a dozen times that day, about a dozen times the next day, and, and probably about a dozen times every day after that. 
It was a great story to tell, and for our little pond here, it, it made a pretty big splash. Went viral, you might say. Now, for a news story to be really newsworthy, it has to be rare, unusual. There's an adage in jur journalism that when a dog bites a man, big deal, that happens all the time. But now when man bites dog, that's a story. It's unusual, unique. Something new has happened. And I want to tell you today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the biggest news story of all time. But it's not just a news story. It's not just news. It is good news. In fact, in the beginning, Christianity wasn't even called Christianity. The early Christians didn't say, well, we believe in Christianity. They called what they believed the good news about Jesus Christ. And it went viral. And it's still going viral today. It spread all throughout the Roman Empire in the first three centuries, which is remarkable. And even historians who are not Christians and not believers would say something remarkable must have happened back there. It must have been a pretty hot spark to ignite that fire. Because in the first three centuries of the Roman Empire, there was no financial advantage to become a Christian. There was no political advantage. There was no social advantage. In fact, people hated Christians. And yet, Christianity spread throughout the world. And historians said, there's no way to explain that except something pretty amazing must have happened. And we would say, Jesus coming back from the dead, is that something pretty amazing? That's one of the proofs that the resurrection actually happened. It's historical. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the biggest news story of all time, but it's not just news. It's good news. So today we're going to talk about what is the news about Jesus, and then what makes it good news. So since it's news, if I were to put a headline on it, death is defeated. That's the headline. Reigning champion of the world, death has been defeated by the challenger from Nazareth. And in every early sermon from the Christians, you see this in, throughout the book of Acts. It's the focal point. It's what they're focusing on. They're not saying he was a great religious teacher. You should really check out his stuff. No, they're saying he was raised from the dead. That's the message. That was the focus and, and the headline of every sermon of those early Christians and still is today. Death is defeated by Jesus. If you were to compact it in a sound bite, a new soundbite. It would be something like this. By rising from the grave, Jesus forever broke the power of death and ushered the way into a new kingdom, one that will last forever, empty of all evil and suffering, filled with peace and the love of God. That is what Jesus did. It's the biggest news story of all time, but it's the kind of news that will change your life, just like it did for those first followers. You know, the Bible says that there were 500 people who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. 500. And this is another one of the great proofs that the resurrection actually happened, is that of those 500, many of them suffered. Several of them, in fact, gave their lives to spread this message about the resurrection of Jesus. And people would look at that and say, all right, if the resurrection was a hoax, perpetrated by the closest followers of Jesus, as many skeptics then and today still would say, it does not make sense that all of those people would suffer 
lived the whole rest of their lives spending their lives to spread the message and indeed many of them give up their lives to death for the message of Jesus coming back from the dead. Nobody would do that if they believed it was a lie. If they had perpetrated a hoax and they all knew it was a lie, no one would have gone to those lengths. Another proof that the resurrection actually happened. Now, of those 500 witnesses, the first three witnesses we heard about in our gospel story today, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and then Salome. Now, why are these names important? Because if you back up in the story to the story of the crucifixion, Mark writes in verse 40 of chapter 15, he names these same three women and he says, they saw him crucified. They saw him die. They knew he had died. Later on at the end of chapter 15, two of those women, and he names them by name again, saw where he was laid in the tomb. Which tomb? So you could say, oh, well, they just got the wrong tomb. When they went back and found it empty, they, there were other tombs. No. They saw him die. They saw which tomb he was in. They went to that tomb on the first day of the week and found it empty. You can imagine in the early morning of that first day, picking their way through the streets of Jerusalem. They probably left their house while it was still dark, very early. And in the 15, 20 minutes or so that it took them to cross the fairly large ancient city of Jerusalem and get to the tomb site, the sun had risen, but it was just a very early light of a new day. And they arrive at the tomb site, having talked about along the way, how are we going to get into the tomb? When they arrive at the tomb site, who knows how long they stopped, jaw dropping. The stone is rolled away. And when they went into the tomb, they were expecting to find a corpse, a dead body. That's why they had spices. They were not expecting nobody. They were not expecting a heavenly being proclaiming to them, this Jesus whom you seek, who was crucified, he is risen. And that message of the angel is the simplest and perhaps the best good news, summary of the good news. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he is risen. So why is it important that it's Jesus of Nazareth? Well, again, it shows that he's not some mythological figure. The angel is talking to women who knew this man, the one you knew, the one whom you saw teaching to the crowds, the one whom you saw casting out demons, performing great deeds. That man, Jesus of Nazareth, was crucified. So let's talk about why it's important that he was crucified. If he had died any other death, if he had died an old man and then come back to life, it would not have helped us. It would not be the gospel. And here's why. He had to be crucified because the Bible talks about that as being a sacrifice for sin. This is tied to the Jewish religion, which Jesus and all of his followers were Jews, and it was coming from that Jewish religion that Christianity was born because they're connected. And in the Jewish religion, there was sacrifice needed, an animal sacrifice and the shedding of blood. It says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Jesus said to his followers before he died, I've come to the earth to give my life as a ransom for many. So he talked about his death as being a ransom payment. Works this way. Every time you do wrong, you wrong God or you wrong others, you're racking up for yourself a debt. And we've all done this. 
It's a debt that not a single one of us and no amount of wealth in the world could pay. So here we were with a debt that we could not pay. And the Bible tells us that God looks upon the shed blood of Jesus on the cross and he says, that precious life poured out, that is the payment sufficient for all the debt of the whole world, for every sin ever done that ever will be done by every person who has sinned, and that is every single one of us. The payment is enough. Jesus said, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way from the book of Colossians. And you who were dead in your sins, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Your debt was nailed to the cross. The blood was sufficient. And so we proclaim that whoever repents and believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins, every sin. And to repent simply means to admit that you have done wrong. You've wronged God. You've wronged others. It's not hard to figure out that every single one of us has done that. Admit that you have wronged others and God. But also to turn away from that and say, I, I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to go God's way. That's what it means to repent. And whoever repents and believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of all your sins. So it's Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified for the forgiveness of sins, but now he is risen. And this is where the story becomes something completely and utterly new, something new under the sun. You've heard it said that there's nothing really new under the sun. A couple weeks ago in March Madness, a 16 seed beat a number one seed. It was news all over because that had never happened before in the history of the tournament. But guess what? Great sports upsets happen. Strange things in sports have happened before and will happen again. There's nothing new under the sun. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the only thing new under the sun. Nothing like it had happened before or will happen until he comes again. Now in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are three stories of people being brought back to life around the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. Jesus himself raised a boy and a girl and he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the apostles in the book of Acts, there are two accounts of raising from the dead two different people. But here's the thing, all eight of those and every other person who's been brought back to life in the history of the church since then, all of them will die again or have died again. <clears throat> Jesus rose from the grave never to die again. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Jesus appears in a vision to John and he says to him, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive now forever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. He has ra been raised from the dead, never to die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And he did this without anybody else's help. In every other resurrection account or raising from the dead, somebody else was there praying or ministering to bring that person back. Jesus came back with the help of no human being. And even the story of Elijah and Enoch, who were taken up to heaven, they did so without dying. They didn't have to defeat the power of death. Jesus alone died and came back never to die again. This is the greatest news story of all time. Death has been defeated. It has been broken forever. And because of that, Jesus has opened a way to a new kingdom, one that will last forever, 
empty of all evil and suffering, filled with peace and the love of God. So that's the news. But what makes it good news? What makes it good news is that he did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for us. He did that for anyone who believes. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to appear as if you have your life all together. You simply have to believe that Jesus came back from the dead and trust in him and turn your life over to him. Anyone who believes. And the promise that he said to his disciples was this, because I live, you also shall live. In other words, what has happened to me will also happen to you. You shall be raised not just to die again, but you shall be raised never to die again. A whole new kind of life, a new quality of life in a new kind of kingdom that none of us here have ever experienced. This is what makes it good news. It makes it good news because that gives us hope and it gives us help. So let me talk about hope and help here for a little bit. The hope that comes from the resurrection is this. And I hope you believe this, that the best is yet to come. That all that is wrong and evil in this world will be gone and done with in the new world. And that everything that is right and good in this world will be multiplied and magnified beyond your ability to comprehend or understand. Let me read one more scripture passage. This comes from the end, almost the end of the Bible. Again, this is John from Revelation. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Do you want that? Do you want to be made new? I was talking recently with a woman at our church who has undergone and, and will for the foreseeable rest of her life, undergo incredible suffering that is hard for you and I to imagine. And I was meeting with her, and, and I, I'll call her Chelsea. That's not her name, but I said, Chelsea, do you ever think about Jesus coming back? Do you ever think about the life of the world to come? Is that ever a source of hope for you? She le leaned in to me, and she said, Brett, Sometimes that is the only hope I have, but it is my hope. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news because it gives us hope that the best is yet to come. But you might be here thinking, that's all well and good. I, I am excited about the life of the world to come, but I need help right now. I can't wait that long. 
And I have good news for you. The power of the resurrection is for you today. Paul, when he's writing to the Ephesians, he said, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power for those who believe. The same power that he used to raise Christ from the dead is available and at work for all of you who believe. That's what Paul said to the believers in Ephesus. So if you're in a relationship, I was just talking with somebody this last week and they were sharing their relationship story with me and they were saying, there's so much anger, there's so much bitterness. I don't know if we're going to make it. I didn't know that to love somebody would be this hard. And if you've ever felt that way or if you're feeling that way, now I want to tell you, if you put Jesus at the center of your life, which he was not for this woman who was sharing this with me. If you put Jesus at the center of your life, that won't make all your problems go away. But now you have the power of the resurrection inserted into that relationship. And it will not go away overnight, but it will change. Your relationship will be transformed. It will not be the same, I promise you. Or perhaps you're sitting here with an illness, a sickness, or a physical pain. And I declare to you that the power of the resurrection is for you. And it means, first of all, you could be healed from that. We believe and we proclaim in the utter, complete healing of every illness and sickness in the name of Jesus by the power of the resurrection. That might be you today. Receive healing for whatever physical illness or sickness you have. But if not today, on that day when he returns, that's the promise you will be healed. And furthermore, from this day until the day you are healed, Jesus promises, I will be with you and that will completely change and transform your experience of suffering. You will not be suffering alone. I will be with you. I will be suffering with you. I will make what was once unbearable, bearable. The power of the resurrection is here, not just to give us hope for the future life, it is also to help us now in this life. So I began the story today, the sermon with a story about a birth. Jesus talked about a new birth. He said, anyone who believes in me is born not of this earth, as we all have been born of the earth, but you are born of heaven, you are born from above. And if you came today not believing in Jesus, not believing in the resurrection, not having come to him repenting, admitting you're wrong and turning away from the former life. If you have not believed in Jesus, then today could be the day that you experience new birth and new life and have the hope for eternal life in that kingdom that he has inaugurated. That could be your gift that Jesus gives you and it can be today. It may be that you are here and you do already believe, but you need to receive help. You need to receive help in the form of hope for heaven, or you need to receive help in your suffering to make what is unbearable bearable. So today, as you come forward at communion, receive prayer, or at any time, grab somebody and say, that was me. Especially if you're here and you're saying, I want that new birth. Don't even wait. Find somebody right away. Come find me and say, that's that's me. I need new birth. Would you pray for me? I want to repent of my sin. I want to believe in Jesus. But whatever you need from Jesus today, come and receive. And now I'm going to have Laura Lambie, who's one of our resurrection own. She's someone who in recent months has just made Jesus the center of her life. And she has discovered for herself what it means that this is not just news, 
but in fact, good news for her. And she's going to share a little bit about what it has meant for her to come to Jesus. So for most of my early childhood, I grew up going to church. I was baptized at a very young age and went to church every Sunday with a grandmother who believed that being nice on Sunday was enough to get her into heaven. Unfortunately, on every day but Sunday, she was mean if downright cruel to me. It was these memories that had me say as an adult, when it comes to faith, Jesus, and God, that good, honest Christians don't really exist. So I did not go back to church for 20 years. Now many years later, when I was in my early 30s, my friend introduced me to one of her friends. I did not know it at the time, but David would become not only my husband, but he would be someone who intrigued me because he had faith in the Lord and he was nice. <laughs> um, you know, it's not something I thought was possible, but not only that, but when he talked about his faith, it was something I could feel. Uh, his faith was palpable. It seemed like God was tapping me on the shoulder. I moved from resistant to God to on the fence about God. Faith in Jesus was still not the thing for me. But I had to admit, there were moments in my life that I felt like something was missing, but I could not put my finger on it. At times, I even had a sense that God was standing right next to me and maybe even drawing me closer, but I still sat on the fence. I slowly came to believe that Jesus is real, but I didn't want to do anything about it. On December 22, 2017, David convinced me to watch a movie called The Case for Christ, a true story about two atheists who come to Jesus. When the main character's wife started attending church, I started to cry and I kept crying through the rest of the movie. When the main character said, God, you win, I echoed that statement in my heart, and I knew I had found exactly what I was missing. At that moment, I decided I wanted a relationship with Jesus. Now, prior to that moment, I cried over everything, from babies being born on TV to a Ritz commercial. <laughs> When I was alone, I would cry hysterically, and nobody, including my therapist, could figure out why. I had just felt so broken. When I accepted Christ, I finally felt like my heart had been healed. I felt his entire, this entire weight of heaviness, guilt, and hopelessness lifted off me. Since December of last year, I've been coming to res regularly, and it's been amazing. But there is one thing about me, and that is that I love stuffed animals. So here's how I picture my new life in Jesus. Before my life with Jesus, I felt like I only had one stuffed animal, and I could not let it go because it was all that I had. Now that I have Jesus, it's like I have a thousand stuffed animals, and I have the desire to share them with everybody in my life. I am so thankful that God's love compelled me to get off the fence. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.